0: Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber.
1: Yes, sir. Welcome to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Thank you, Jonathan Gordon, for that great intro. It is a beautiful, sun-baked Sunday here in the greatest city in the world, New York City, Tribeca, the heart of New York City. We are uh, fully underway as far as the baseball season is concerned. A lot going on, college playoffs, regionals, Major League Baseball, a lot of stuff, a lot of topics to discuss today. I think we've got a great lineup. So first of all, I want to introduce... Uh my co-host today, who has been a guest on the show. He's my dear friend. He played for me uh at St. Francis College, one of the only two, two two-way players I've ever had that were legitimate two-way players. Outstanding pitcher and outstanding player hitter, uh, back as my uh Ed McMahon, if you will. <laughs> Anthony Esposito, Espo, as he is uh known to his friends. How's it going, pal? Good Tom. Thanks for having me back, man. You bet. You bet. Um, A lot has happened since we uh, last convened. Um, I know the the met circumstances have turned a great deal, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, But first of all, uh, I want to introduce our guest. Uh, As fate would have it, our guest today is the first player that I ever uh, had a hand in recruiting um, at Wagner College uh, way back in 19... uh, (laughs) <laughs> uh, Help him out, Kenny. Help him <laughs> out. Uh, Kenny Arnold um, played for us at Wagner College, signed and played for about nine years of professional baseball between the Baltimore Orioles, Chicago Cubs, and the Texas Rangers. Played some independent ball as well. Uh, in reading his bio, there was one uh, entry that I think had to have been a misprint because it actually referred to some academic all-conference honor that he was awarded uh, we'll have to discuss that with him I don't know what conference that could possibly have been uh, but one of my best friends in the world father of five he's busy and he is now a uh, a terrific actor as I knew he would be because everything he does he does well and uh, he's taken the same attributes that made him such a terrific baseball player and um, took it into the acting field I want to welcome aboard my pal Ken Arnold how are you man
2: Hey, Tommy. How are you, man? Glad to be here.
1: You bet. You bet. Uh, It's been a long time coming. We've talked an awful lot about you getting on the show. When did I see you? I saw you a couple of weeks ago, right?
2: Yeah, I was up uh, last week. I was up. uh, We went out and had a drink. Um, I was up there for an audition, actually, and uh, had some time afterwards and uh, came down to your area and we hung out for a bit.
1: Kenny resides in Annapolis, Maryland, beautiful town and uh, very involved, unfortunately, in youth baseball. He still has uh, a son young enough to have to endure being involved in travel ball, uh, which we'll get to as well. Um, First thing I'd like you to do, Ken, is sort of talk about how you got to where you are today, especially uh, briefly, um, your your baseball pedigree. I know it very well, but everyone else doesn't. Just uh, clue everyone else into what I already know.
2: Well, uh, I I signed out of uh, Wagner with the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Billy Blitzer scouted me up there, and uh, you know it, I went through the draft. You know, just like all players, you wait for the phone to ring, and it never rang. And I was kind of feeling like I wasn't going to get a chance to play at all. And then fortunately, Billy uh, gave me a call and said, "Hey, if you want, we got a spot for you in our rookie team in the Appalachian League." And I immediately jumped at the chance. So I went and played for the Cubs for. Uh, two seasons. Uh, Then I got uh, released by them, signed with an independent league, went on to play with the Orioles for a few years, Uh, got released by them, went to another independent league, signed back with Texas, and then finished my career out playing a few independent leagues, uh, the Atlantic League uh, specifically.
1: Tell us... Let's go back to Wagner College, 1980s or whatever. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) uh, I was 11. I was 11. I was I was a boy genius at the time. Um, Yeah. And uh, tell us, give us some of your impressions of what what your first encounters with the baseball program at Wagner College were like.
2: Uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect because, you know, to me, coming from where I came from, I mean, wherever, you know, nobody in my family had ever gone to college and we didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect. And I was came from ACCO, New Jersey, which is in the middle of nowhere. And now I'm in the big city. To me, Staten Island was the big city. You know, it was huge. So when I got there, it was, it was amazing to me to see all this going on. I had never seen, you know, where we came from baseball was just, we were just out there having fun you know, and it wasn't as organized, it wasn't, you know, as serious, as I should say, even though we did have fun at Wagner, it was more organized and serious, it was a college program so,
1: Yeah, it was but pretty it, serious hey, it, it
2: was a big deal,
1: and we had a very so. serious uh, head coach, that's for sure, he was uh, he was, he was a task got, let, me, let me say this, you, you share something in common, Espo, and you share something in common, both of your coaches Ah, uh, Tom Hain and Frank Del George were had had some similarities. I mean, they they weren't similar personalities, but they had a lot a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. And they were both taskmasters, and they had a high standard, and they expected a lot out of you. Um, sure. And um, I'm sure Espo will will concur with that. Espo, talk a little bit about um, your first encounter uh, with Frank Del George and your first experience at uh, St. Francis College.
3: So so my experience was funny because I was sort of, um, I I guess at the end of the day, you can call me a walk-on recruit. So I was recruited by St. Francis and I chose not to go there in the fall. Uh, I chose to go with other pursuits and I had met Coach Del George. I had never seen him before actually, by the way, either. And I saw him in the lobby of St. Francis and uh, he had all his gear on and, uh, it was an interesting, uh, it really was an interesting um, meetup. You know what I mean? Uh, like, like, like Tom says, not a really warm, fuzzy guy, not someone who's like, hey, how you doing, pal? You know, he was sort of just like very, very, like Tom said, task oriented and um, not something that I was really used to. I, a lot of my coaches were very, you know, pat on the back and I, I didn't know how it was going to work out. But at the end of the day, and Tom and I will agree on this, you know, Frank George is probably one of the best baseball guys
1: I've ever been around easily. Kenny, what about Tom Hain? Talk about him.
2: Well, he was a very serious guy, but I'll tell you, uh, Tom, Hayne kind of took me under his wing. Uh, you know, he did a lot for me to get me into Wagner college. And then once I was there, he kind of made sure that, uh, you know, things went well for me while I was there. So I, you know, I, I looked to Tom Hain in uh, a lot of situations and he was always there for me. So I know we, we kind of have fun and, you know, we make fun of it, you know, when he was out there making us do Monty's and Striders and all that, but. In the end, you know, looking back on those days, I mean, he was he was my father figure away from home. Yeah, you know, so a, he was the guy that I looked to.
1: That's a great point, And I'll tell you why, because obviously I, I coached on a team with both of you guys for two different guys. And, and they're very similar in that regard as well. One of the piece of advice uh, that parents and kids should take is that uh, regardless of what the experience is now, there's a very, very high likelihood that in 10 or 15 or 20 years, you're going to look back and thank that guy. For being a little tough on you every once in a while and maybe not, you know, not caving every time you wanted something. Uh, neither guy was particularly warm and fuzzy, but they both had your best interests at heart and they both did an excellent job with very limited resources. Both schools are yeah. small, northeast, uh, tiny Division I schools that get very, very little resource in the, in the way of resources. Uh, and what they both had to do with I mean, I could remember being in the Sutter gym, which was like from the Civil War in an office yeah. with those rot- those black rotary phones. And and, and Hain asked well, me, what about this Arnold kid? And having a couple of conversations on the phone. And I said, well, you know, he looked tall kid. He looks good. And and he really was very concerned about kids coming from out of town and, you know, coming from play- small towns like Atgo, New Jersey. You know, where you went to Atko High and, you, you know, <laughs> you went to the
2: Atco Avenue. Yeah, Avenue. I live on, on Atco Avenue. <laughs>
1: right. I could go on and on. We've done this for 30 years. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really a testament to, to, to two guys who never made a lot of money. Uh, another thing that people have to realize about most college coaches, they do not make a lot of money. They don't get famous uh, and they provide yep. an awful lot. Uh, To kids who really do need a lot because some of the most of them are away from home the first time and some of them come from a very long distance. So uh, I think it's a great uh, on both of uh, both your parts uh, cautionary tale to everyone to realize you should uh, reserve judgment until uh, history uh, comes and takes place. But anyway, um, let's get uh, Kenny. You are involved in youth baseball. Uh, you and I, I am. talk about. Oh my God! <laughs> Don't sound so <laughs> enthusiastic. Um, I, I know I am,
2: but yes, I am. I gotta say I am.
1: So, <laughs> t- tell me this: so, as you know, a guy with a pedigree and a professional player, and you know, you've seen a lot, and you know, we've talked forever. Uh, yeah w- What, if anything, um, do you think needs to change? Well, I
2: think I think. Uh, and this has always been a problem since I started coaching youth baseball. You know, in in the mid '90s, um, you know, the parents—they, it's amazing how much more they know than I know, even though you know, what I mean? Yeah, I, do. Me. I do. What do you know? What know. do you know? What does she you know? I don't know. I, I don't get You know, get Ken. It. You let know, me I, let me just. professional baseball for ten years, and I—you know more than me. I I don't claim to know more than you, Mister Fireman, when it comes to putting out fires.
1: Right. You don't, know, Kenny. Kenny. I always tell this story. I said, no matter what you say, you know that when that kid gets back into that car and they drive home, you know, the dad, uh-huh. is, the dad is saying, what does he know? Listen to me. This is what you're yeah. supposed to do. Go on. Keep going. Yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, uh, I mean, I mean that, that, aspect of it, I mean, it, it's been, it's been tough sometimes because, you know, you got parents calling pitches from the stands, you know, I didn't even know it at first. And then finally when I did, I went and, you know, I, I ended it, but You know, that stuff goes on all the time and it just, it needs to stop. The parents need to take a step back and just let the kids be coached and play the game and just, you know, take a step back and not be, you know, the helicopter parent who is just always there, always there, always there.
1: So. Okay. Yeah, right. My, my grandfather with his tomato garden. You know, he didn't stand over the tomatoes and cast a shadow over them and wait for them to grow. He gave them a little fertilizer, put them in the ground, and then he watered and, them every once in a while and went about his day smoking his, you know, Bel Air, no filters and, uh, you know, enjoying his day. So uh, I think it's the same thing. Espo, you are lucky enough to have two girls. Okay, yes. you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> all right, you don't know. Believe me, no, dancing school will be terrible. That'll be terrible because they're I'm lunatics a, too. I'm already there. Oh, okay, to a degree. Uh, give it to. Let, let's draw an analogy between dancing school and the typical um, baseball parent. Let's see. You know, what, what do you think? Are there a lot of similarities? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Really? Just as
3: unreasonably, uh, completely unreasoned. psychotic, completely unreasonable. Really? Everybody thinks their you know the daughter's going to be the next to do you know Swan right. Lake and. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Going to be part of the Rockettes and whatnot, right? right. I think you just have to
1: let. You there know, are a lot of chubby girls from. Italian girls from Brooklyn who worked up uh, as prima ballerina.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, you know, and, and I agree with Kenny 100% and, and sort of the way that I was raised as well. Like my dad was a really integral part in my baseball career, but he understood his limitations as an individual and as a coach as well. Right. right? So um, he really left it up to the people who were coaching and the professionals and uh, to sort of help take my talents the way they should be. And I really think today as you know, I don't know anything about dancing, so I'm going to leave that up to the teachers to teach
1: my kids. Why Why would you do that? What a terrible <laughs> parent you are. What a, yeah, isn't he I'm, a terrible parent, Ken? Yeah. He's going to leave it up to somebody else? When so, you go to the doctor yeah. with your kid, don't you tell him what's wrong I, with your I, kid? I, I diagnose them all the time. <laughs> I mean,
3: that's, you have to, right? At this point, right? I, I'm, I'm never someone who's going to tell anybody, who you know, especially something that I'm not familiar with, right? I always, like I said, I go back to the way my, my dad was with me. He was an integral part of my baseball career. He was a bright-minded guy when it came to baseball, but he didn't know everything, and he knew that. And he always, you know, let the coaches take over, and whether it be from a disciplinary standpoint or right. from you right. know, on how, how to you know how to do certain things, he would uh, you know, follow the advice of the coaches, and he wouldn't overstep his boundaries. Always a fan, right. but, but never someone who would you know, my son needs to do this, he needs to do that, and I, I certainly would never do that, especially with my daughters. There's no
1: way. Kenny, like any good lawyer, I never ask a question that I don't already know the answer to. So tell us what, yeah. was, what level of involvement did your dad have in your baseball career? None. <laughs>
2: I'm serious. He built built me a baseball field in our backyard, and then that was it. He said, go play. That was it. You know, he he would come out and throw and hit ground balls with me every once in a while. But other than that, it was the kids in the neighborhood, and we were playing games every day. And, you know, he left it to the high school coaches. Did you have your hard guard on?
1: Were you wearing your hard guard?
2: Yes, I was wearing my hard guard. No, no, hard guard. Yeah. (laughs) then. (laughs)
1: no 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 all right you didn't have your shield the evo shield the thing for your elbow you didn't have any of that my god it's amazing that you survived i I can't believe it i can't believe they actually could survive um it's like when i see kids on soft with soft toss wearing helmets why 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 do you wear a helmet when you're doing soft toss somebody's underhanding you the ball anyway so let me throw this out to both of you all right two guys high pedigree outstanding players um played at a very high level so then I, I, would, I, would, I would say this, I'll proffer this as a, 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 a theory. In fact, what we're starting to see perhaps is that players who flourish the most are those who have maybe gotten the least, so, such that there's actually a virtue to doing less for your kid than there is in doing more. Espo,
3: talk about that. I, you know, I, I, think, I think even as a man nowadays, too, I just think, you know, the, the way that I was raised, my parents were very, very much, um, you know, allowed me to be myself and, and figure things out on my own. They weren't really... Some would you know,
1: say they neglected you. Yeah, the, 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 relative they, to what people do today... They certainly didn't neglect me. That's, right. that's, I know that. But that's what people would say. Like, wow, well, how could they not always be there? How could they not be at every game, at so every my, practice? The funny thing is, is my
3: parents were always there to seek advice about, right? Especially even when it came to baseball. Like, my dad knew... What I was good at, and he always knew when I was sort of falling off the path, and I can have that discussion with him. Right. Um, but in terms of you know being extraordinarily hands on, telling me you know you need to do this and you need, right. he was not, that was up to the coaches. And it so was you up, didn't and it was know your, to, and it was
1: up to me. He didn't know your whip, your war, right? Your, no, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't. Too whatever, in whatever, those stupid no. acronym they use to describe yeah. Kenny. Uh, your thoughts yeah. on that? I, I firmly believe now. I, I do believe this too, it's, and I think that's why there were so many Latin players and so many players who are economically disenfranchised that do so well, uh, is because they don't get any help. And that actually is a help to them. Speak to that.
2: Well, you know, nobody's out there uh, playing baseball on their own anymore. They're not outside. They're in the house. They're they're doing other things. Unless it's an organized event. If people haven't organized from 6 to 8 o'clock, we're having practice. Those kids aren't playing baseball. They're not practicing baseball. They're not doing anything. So there's... there's that you know, in in the Latin countries, those kids are out all day long playing in a field that is not manicured. They got a, a a milk carton on their hand to catch the ball, and they have a desire. They have a they have they want to get better and get out of there. You know, here they're just handed everything. These kids are handed everything on a daily basis, and there's no desire. There's no push. There's no nothing. They just want everything handed to them, and they get it, and that's the problem. And uh, you see it at all levels. And when kids don't get handed what they're supposed to, you know, or what they think they're supposed to be given, then they throw temper tantrums. They throw fits. They leave the team. You know, it's ridiculous.
1: Right. The modern modern day protocol is if you're not happy with what your kid is getting, and that's part of, I think, the issue, is that baseball's become a commodity. It's become something that people, when they possess it, look to trade it for something else, whether it be a a spot on the high school JV or a spot on the high school varsity or a college scholarship or whatever, on and on and on. There are fewer and fewer people playing, young people playing, because they just want to play. Now, the measure of that would be if you left them alone, how many of them would organize and play? And I I firmly believe that that would be a very low number because nobody wants to leave their kid alone anymore. But uh, the reality is that a lot of kids play because of the organized nature of it and the fact that their parents have something invested in this. They have to drive them to every event. They have to drive them to every practice. So a kid, kids are pleasers by nature, and they certainly want to please their parents, is going to be inclined to do all of this because they know implicitly that their parents have made this investment and they don't want to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the college Absolutely. professor in me, right there.
2: <laughs> I know you. You, you use the word implicitly. My head almost exploded.
1: <laughs> well, that gets me. That gets me to my next question. That gets me to my next question. So, academic or common? Now, either. Yeah. Either, like your mom wrote your bio. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> your mom wrote your bio. Uh, or. Or.
2: She is, is very proud of that. Uh, She's <laughs> very proud of that award that I got. I'm just saying.
1: Well. I'm just saying. I just wonder what conference could you possibly because I was there um, I and I, I was I going to the know. other question I was going to ask was, you know, as an actor, does a very, very low IQ help you uh, be a better actor? And then uh, I look.
2: Apparently, yeah, <laughs> yes. that's exactly what you need. Because be you that, need to have a clear you know, head, right? Yeah, you got. Know, you can't think
1: too much. Right. When you well, they, to you, more, you no one's ever going to accuse you of that, right? I mean, that you're it's thinking too like, much. <laughs> yeah. It's my show. So, I got to rip you a little bit. I, 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 I so I'll, I'll tell
3: you this, Kenny. So I'll, I'll, I find that you know being an ex player that I
1: react better than I think. So <laughs> that's yeah. true. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, so both of you, I want to throw another question out to you. Um, Major League Baseball uh, today, I heard David Cohn say. I heard the exit velocity. Now, somebody's got to let Coney know you can't hear velocity. Okay. It's a measurement. It's like saying, I heard three feet. You can't hear that. Or I heard a pint. Um, (laughs) We are so engrossed. And we feel the the powers that be feel such a need to shove this stuff down your throat that they're just using it in any possible way that they can. What um, I'm going to make you guys king for a day. Give me one Mm -hmm. thing. Kenny, you go first. You're a lead off batter. I suppose a cleanup hitter. Uh, What would you change and why?
2: What'd I change about the major league game? Just oh ba- yeah,
1: oh yeah, major league game. I mean, because that's the game that everybody can't down. It's a game that everybody sees. Right, everybody sees the major league game. What would you change, and why?
2: Why? Uh, well, there are so many different things, but uh, defensively, I would put an emphasis more on playing the game uh, fundamentally correctly. Defensively, it's it's a it's terrible. Anytime I turn the TV on and watch the highlights. I mean simple throws from the outfield are just they're not even close anymore they're not hitting the cutoff man they're not online it's all over it's, it's ridiculous defensively what's going on at the big league so i would say uh have more of an emphasis on playing the defensive game because all it's about now is how far can you hit right. what's your exit velocity all of that and they're not worried about the other aspects of the game and to be honest i was always a defensive player so I found that I I put a lot of work and time into that. And today it just seems like that's not the case. They're not worried about that at all.
1: That's a good point. You know, I I can't get over the fact that people, every time people mention Gary Sanchez's poor defense, and he is a poor defensive catcher. It's not just blocking balls. He's a poor defensive catcher. He's relatively indifferent about his defense. The answer is, yeah, but he's a great hitter. And I, I don't know how one has anything. To, I don't know how one has anything to do with the other. I mean, it's like you know, you know, it, 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 it's a non sequitur almost that when you mention he can't play defense, somebody says, "Yeah, but he's a really good hitter." Yeah, but he can't play defense. Yeah. So it really does yeah. show you how undervalued defense is if you can drive in runs and hit home runs. Um, so I I think that's an excellent point, Espo. What about you?
3: So it's funny. I thought about this a little bit. You asked me this question the last time we were here, and I sort of stumbled on it a little bit. But in hindsight, I thought about it. I would get rid of the I would get rid of letting pitchers hit in the National League. I would bring the DH to the National League. Really? Yeah, because nowadays, the, my favorite term that you hear in baseball is protect the asset. Right. Right. So when you talk about starting pitching, right? Right. So you're gonna you're gonna limit a guy to 100 pitches or let him throw five innings because you're protecting the asset. But yet we're going to let them hit and run the bases where they have a greater probability of getting hurt, in my opinion, than actually just throwing 110 or 120 pitches. So if that's the way that we're going to go today in baseball, we're going to talk about protecting the asset, then get rid of the uh, the pitches hitting in the National League.
1: So It's a logical argument. I love that. the I love the National League game. I love the strategy of the National League game. You're, you're obviously it's an unassailable argument. If we're really looking to preserve guys, why do we have them running? The- why we put them in awkward situations where it's likely that point, you could yeah. become a Chin Ming Wong and ruin your career well, because I, I, you turn third base. And- I
3: love the National League game as well. I think there's a certainly a different feeling and, and, yes. and, and different, way, definitely a different way to manage it, yes, right? But, much more difficult But manage. if you're thinking about it and, and on a global perspective, right, right? If you want to talk about how the game is managed, yep. if you're really worried about protecting the asset, then you have to get rid of the pitches hitting in the National League.
1: I would say one thing to that. Um, they all worried about protecting the asset, yet their method of protecting the asset has gotten seemingly guys hurt at a higher rate than ever before. Guys have never thrown less and never been hurt more. It was funny. I was thinking about this, too, and I was going to
3: ask you that question. What do you think today attributes to the influx of
1: Tommy John surgeries and injuries to pitches nowadays? I think cool. it's a number of things. I think, first and foremost, it is a, uh, the arcade gaming of pitching now, where every pitch is measured for velocity from the time you're 11 years. I see 11-year-old coaches. I was at a travel ball game, and a guy was keeping the velos. If I hear one more guy say velo, I'm punching him in the face. <laughs> okay? Uh, <laughs> right? So, so he comes over, and he says, I got this guy. He's that said, I, said I'm, I thought to myself, first, I want to punch you in the face. Second, what, what value is that to a 13-year-old? The kid can't throw two strikes in a row. This obsession with velocity causes guys to throw every pitch as hard as they can and to develop a pitching style, which will increase their velocity by one or two miles an hour. So now they've sold their soul to the devil. Guys have never thrown as much across their body as they, did, as they do today. Today, guys want to post on that very stiff front leg. Years ago, it was more of a Tom Seaver kind of throw where you threw over A bent left knee, which took a lot of stress off your arm. Now what you're really doing is throwing across your body because you want to try to create as much torque as possible and throw the ball through a brick wall. And with the proliferation of one inning pitchers, basically what guys want to do is how hard can I fire the ball? For one inning, you put a tremendous amount of stress on your arm because all you're practicing is how to throw maximum velocity. It would be like getting in a weight room, putting the most amount of weight you could possibly on the bench, and trying to bench press as much as you possibly can in a very short period of time. You would never let a guy do that. You would definitely see that he's going to get hurt. I think that's one of the biggest contributing factors. I've said it before. I know I'm on a rant, but don't stop me. I'm on a roll. I, I've said it before. Go, go. Go. I'm smiling, by the way. The measuring <laughs> of velocities should be outlawed until a kid is 16 years old. There is no reason you need to know how hard a 13-year-old throws. As a matter of fact, I could make an argument for you should have a maximum velocity that a kid could throw. It would be then and only then that a young kid learns how to pitch. If you can only throw the ball 54 miles an hour, now you have to throw it with some movement. You have to change speeds. You have to work quickly. You have to field your position. You now become a pitcher. The reason most kids are good. And Kenny, I mean, he's the perfect perfect guy. Talk to this. Here's why kids are good at a young age. It's a physical mismatch. The biggest kid yeah. is the better player all the time. Well, if yeah. you level the playing field and you say, you know what? You're not going to be able to take advantage of the fact that you're six feet and you're 11. You can you have to throw at 58 miles an hour. Well, now he's got to get creative. He's got to get inventive. He's got to get resourceful. He's got to do all the things that great pitchers do. You think about the great pitchers. That's what they do. They're able to get out. It's not just how hard you throw. So long-winded way, my knobbly done way of answering a question, uh, long-winded way of getting to your, your, that I believe the biggest factor is in this obsession with velocity. And there is a way to make the game more fun and more interesting uh, if you actually mandate a lower velocity. Can you speak to that on the youth level? Well, you
2: know, just like you said, you get these kids that come out there, they're all, you know, they're six foot and they're 12 years old and they're throwing the ball 60, 65 miles an hour. And these other kids just can't catch up to it. Of course. They're and they're afraid. And they're afraid. And they're wondering afraid. what happened. Right. Yeah. And it, they really, they can't do anything. So those kids dominate and they just, you know, it, they just, if anything, if it was up to me, a kid like that would play up a division or, you know, with a higher right. age group. So we wouldn't be in that division. I mean, if you're, if that's the only way I think that you can solve that issue is to move the kid to another division where he's he's going to be more equal to the other players. Because then, when he's more equal to the other players, he has to make those adjustments you talked about.
3: The same thing I'll say to that, Ken, is that I think that same kid, when he moves to the next level and everybody catches up to him, he's not going to be able yeah. to handle adversity either. Because Correct. he's Because at exactly. this point, he's, exactly. he's he's mowing people down, and I yep. don't think he'll be able to handle at the next level once everybody's age and size catch up
1: to him to be able to handle, you know. So then maybe baseball could take a cue from football. I'm not sure, but I think football is more based on your size than your age Mm -hmm. because you don't want a physical mismatch in football because you could really cause damage. Well, in baseball, you're doing the same thing. It's just that the physical damage part of it isn't as much of a factor because it's not a collision sport. So what you really should do is have – if a kid's 5'9", he can't play against the kids that are 5'2". So if everybody on the 11-year-old, if the average – size is, you know, four foot 10. Well, if you are a foot taller than that, then you got to go play with guys who are a foot taller than you. And it's, it's
3: true though. And I'll speak to that because I I had wanted to play football like 13, 14 years old before I went to high school. And Kenny, I've always been a big guy. I'm about eighty, I'm a big dude. Um, But even as a teenager, I was always bigger than everybody else. I would have had to play with the 18 year olds you're not going to take a 14-year-old with no football experience and put him with 18-year-olds. You're just not going to do that, right? No. So, he, um, gonna, he's going to get hammered. No, absolutely. Yeah. He's gonna, yeah, you're get, yeah, so that's, that was, a, that was a, you know, a non-starter for me there. But uh, I, I get it. I, I like the idea, too.
1: Kenny, hold on a second, all right? We're going to take a break. You got plenty sure. of time, right? You got nothing but time, right? Well, you know.
2: I yeah, I got it. I'm hiding. I'm hiding in the basement from my
1: working <laughs> kids right now. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll be uh, we'll facilitate that uh, that need for you. We are going to be right back with Ken Arnold.
0: You're listening to the conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4MomALZ.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity For mom Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4Mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show.
1: Bruce Springsteen, Glory Days, great tune. Saw Springsteen, the last show, Wrecking Ball Tour, Meadowlands, last night at the Meadowlands. It was awesome. And then I saw him weeks later at the Garden, and they were at the end of the tour, and they could see the light at the end of the tunnel. You could tell they were just pedaled to the metal. They were tremendous. If you're, you're going to see one concert, one rock concert, that's the one you want to see, regardless of, you know, how you feel about the guy politically. But he's a tremendous, tremendous, uh, he he lets it all hang out and leaves it all on the stage. Just like my guests, Espo and Kenny Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> how about that segue? See, I'm getting good at this. I'm actually getting good. I, I could get yeah. dangerous. Right? <laughs> Come on.
2: I've I've been accused of leaving it all hang out, but I don't
1: think it was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sort of a different kind of show. That's like a late night show. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry.
1: <clears throat> you are a father of five. Take it easy. Uh all right. <laughs> So topical. Let's get topical now. Um unfortunately, revelations, Robinson Cano, uh performance mm-hmm. enhancing drugs, uh 80 game suspension, um uh you know, uh, the righteous indignation that uh, is in such uh, s- supply to me is somewhat offensive. I don't know how people are still silly enough to be surprised when this happens. Um, baseball does not have the Olympic standard in testing and uh, whatever testing they have falls very far short of what you would have if you really wanted to guarantee that nobody uh, was was engaging in this kind of activity. Um the implications are far-reaching. Well, it's not as far-reaching anymore because uh, Robinson Cano has gotten, you know, a couple of hundred million dollars already as a professional player, as a major league player. And after 80 games, he'll be back uh, on the Seattle Mariner roster and getting paid again. But um, can you talk to me a little bit about uh, how you felt when you heard the news and uh, also about your own experience back at a time when, you know, you guys, you played in the sweet spot of, uh, you know, steroid use uh, throughout baseball.
2: Well, when I heard uh, about Robinson Cano, it didn't surprise me at all. As a matter of fact, when somebody mentioned to me, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not shocked. You know, it's going on. It's been going on for years. It's it's not a mystery. Uh, you know, the guy from Sports Illustrated, the doctor who was designed, you know, he designs the test or designed the, uh, the things to get around the test. He says, as long as I'm making millions of dollars doing that, Nobody's ever going to catch these guys. Right. You know, I'm always going to stay a step ahead. Right. And, it, you know, he's making millions of dollars doing that, and it's legal for him to do that. Nobody's going to stop him, and he's going to keep doing it. But when I played, and you know, I knew when I was with the Texas Rangers, and I was in spring training, and I walked into the weight room, and Juan Gonzalez and Pudge Rodriguez were in there, and I walked in, I looked at both of them, and I just turned around and walked out. Yeah. I was like, I can't compete with that. I I can't. I can't do what they're doing if I'm not doing the same thing. Absolutely, I really can't. No, I understand. And I, it was ridiculous. I mean, I was just walked in. I looked at them both, and I was just like, Yeah, I, there's no way. I'm not going to do what so, they're
3: doing. So, that's well. I have to. I have to ask the question. Do Do you guys really think that an individual using steroids has that much of a difference? Oh baseball. my God! Yes. Oh so? my God! I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, asking, a, I'm asking a Here's question. Here's what I think. I'm asking a question because Kenny's lived it firsthand. My uh, my thought yes. is is that it's such a skill sport. Right. I, I think it'll help with longevity, yes. right? And it'll it'll right. help, it'll no, help no, no. with.
2: But, but, but I've I, seen so many guys who hit five home runs and then all of a sudden, right. go on the road. And then
3: the next year they hit 30. Brady Anderson. Brady Anderson is the perfect example. One guy like that. And
1: and and one of the things I I find fascinating, I find the human element in all this fascinating, the psychology and the emotional, and and also the enabling that goes on, the massive enabling that goes on amongst guys that should be the stewards of the game, the press, the MLB network, which is just the Politburo for Major League Baseball. um, They're always going to toe the party line, but it really is terribly irresponsible because what, what I heard Brady Anderson, he, Brady Anderson actually twists himself into a pretzel, making you believe that this is possible. It's more than possible. As a matter of fact, it's probable. It's only one more home run a week, you know, and, and, you know, two good swings. And it's as if, you know, you're, you have to be an imbecile to buy into any of this. But what I do believe his what I believe about steroids. Here's two things. Number one, there's no question about it that it makes you bigger and stronger because right? everybody who's ever done it has gotten dramatically bigger and stronger. So if your machine is sure. a certain size one year and then it's twice that size the next year, what it does is it takes your 350 foot fly ball that somebody runs down and turns it into a 425 foot home run. Um, yes. The other thing it does, and this is something that people don't talk a lot about the, the psychological advantage you have. Think about sitting at a card game and knowing However, you know, how many picture cards are left or knowing, you know, how likely it is or or knowing that the dice at some point in the next three rolls are going to come up in a certain, you know, to, to a seven. okay. or if you were a golfer, if you knew that your worst five shots, you were going to be able to take over. How free and easy would you be? The hardest thing about playing any game is the pressure mentally to succeed. Well, if you know you have an advantage. That makes you feel like Superman. Now, all of a sudden, you're walking up the home plate knowing, geez, all I got to do is make contact you. The ball's going to go. It's like you're using a different ball Isn't or you're it, using a corked bat. It's got to have an immense psychological benefit to whoever is doing it. I, I've always felt
3: that, I don't know, baseball is such a skill sport mm-hmm. that whether you're bigger and stronger, it's really not going to... What well, they already have the skill. It's really not. Well, I mean... Is, I mean, I, I'll i so say I have the this skill, this right? Th- I'm 5'9",
1: I'm 160 pounds. Right. Well, if I return in spring training and I'm 5'9", 200 pounds... I have the same skill, well, I, now I'm able to take whatever my skill, whatever I was able to do last year at 160 pounds and now I have another 40 pounds of muscle, well, that's going to translate into distance, velocity, acceleration, force, all the things that make a ball go faster and further. Here's the point I'm trying to
3: make. Sort of. So if you take the individual who's a 230 hitter mm-hmm. and he hits 10 home runs and then he goes on steroids and he comes back the next year, he's still the same 230 hitter, but he's hitting 20 home runs. It doesn't make him a better... He's going to get more hits too because he's, so.
1: well he's got to get more hits. He's going to hit the ball harder. He's going to hit the ball longer, which is going to translate into more hits. Yeah, I, I
3: don't. know. I've, I've always felt like to me steroids is whole hum right? at, at this point in time. Like you said, it's 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 in, it, nobody wants
1: to talk about it, but it's it's on the surface. It's right there. All the information. Well, except right there, that here. except that a guy like Barry Bonds hit like three hundred home runs after he's thirty five years old, yeah, which uh, is unprecedented. And and guy, you know, Mark McGuire hit seventy through seventy home, whatever he did, seventy three home runs. You know, like it was I, nothing. I, I
2: don't- I don't think it's steroids now, anyway. I think it's more human growth hormone and, right. and, and you know, other things right. at this point. So you know, because steroids are too detectable, they have tests for
1: all that stuff now. Right, they're more sophisticated, and I think also today, what it's about for most guys is being able to answer the bell every day because that's such mm-hmm. a that, so that's where injuries I think, are so prevalent now that if you could answer the bell every day, you're
3: worth a fortune. That's where I think the is where the edge comes in, right? Is in terms of how you recover. And you were able to stay on the field longer, Absolutely. I I still sort of disagree with you guys in terms of, you know, uh, making a player better. I mean, I understand in terms of batted ball, this is hitting home runs. I get it. But I think if you did a study of all the players that did steroids, if
1: you take... Right. The guys who started off better are going to stay better. Well, yeah, yeah I, Barry Bonds was a great player, and this is what I—this is why I'm so troubled by the Barry Bonds thing, by the 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 you know sanctifying of somebody like Barry Bonds. Is he was already a first ballot Hall of Fame, was a magnificent player, and then he became a freak of nature. Well, a lot, a lot of these guys were on the track to be Hall of Fame. Absolutely, Rafael Palmeiro was a great yeah. player. He didn't need steroids. No, but you know what? They chose to do that, yeah. and and it, it you know Roger Clemens. I mean, Roger Clemens was one of the great pitchers of all time, with or without steroids. Uh, but hey, look,
2: when you're making that amount of money, you don't want that to end. Right. You want to keep it going as long as you want, oh, you know, as long you know. as possible. And they were willing to do that, even if it meant they were going to get get caught. They didn't care, especially right. for the Latin, the Latin players. You know, they come from the you know, Dominican Republic. Yeah. They don't want to go back there. They're going to do whatever it takes. And if it means cheating or doing whatever, they're going to do it. That I
3: agree with.
1: Yeah, they come from squalor. And, you know, we've heard the stories a million times. And, and I, I I have a great deal of sympathy for them because... I remember watching the Lance Armstrong interview, and Lance Armstrong is one of the least sympathetic figures in the world, except he said something that I agreed with wholeheartedly. He said, everybody is doing it. I just did it better. I was a better cyclist who also had to do steroids because everybody else was doing it. And if I didn't do it, there was no way I could compete. That is a true statement. He really did. He had no choice. It's not. And and they all did it. I mean, they've all so many of those guys have been banned. And and he's right. You put the, 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 the crime about steroids. And for me, why I could never legalize them and never be in favor of them is it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on guys who are on the fringe to do something they would never contemplate doing otherwise. They just wouldn't because it does have series. And, you know, another thing, too the shady nature of all the people they get this stuff from. You don't even know. It's not like they're going, you know, they're not going to the Mayo Clinic to get their steroids. They're going south of the border when they get to LA or San Diego, and they're buying this stuff on the cheap. You have no idea what you're putting into your body. And eventually 90% of these guys break down in a really horrific manner. I mean, their bodies really betray them at some point.
2: They do. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. The weird injuries that you hear, the abdominal pulls right. and all that. I don't remember those being common, you know, back in the eighties, seventies. Right. And then right, all of a sudden, right. You know, like Obliques didn't 90s. exist
1: 30 years ago. And now, you know, a guy goes yeah. running for a foul ball. He's out for nine weeks with like, you know, his rib, right, yeah. his rib cage has been like detached from the rest of his body. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, I feel um, it's unfortunate. I had a roommate. I had a roommate who was,
2: and he told me flat out, he goes, I got to do it. He goes, if I want to play in the big leagues, I got to do it. And I said, well, that's up to you. And then, you know, a year later, there he is, he's taking batting practice
1: and his thumb falls off, <laughs> falls off. Kicking, batting, Did the trainer batting pick it up, but reattach it? <laughs> Sounds like a messenger. batting practice right. on a,
2: just a normal swing. His thumb breaks in half and he's out for You know, eight weeks because he needs surgery to, you know, reattach his bone. I'm like, what? What? How does that happen?
3: That's bizarre.
2: And well, it happens because his body couldn't handle what he was doing because he was on the roids. So I know a lot of players who didn't make it to the major leagues who were on steroids as well. So you're right. I mean, a 230 hitter is a 230 hitter. You put him on the roids, he might hit some more home runs, but he's still a 230 guy. So, yeah, I knew plenty of guys who did CDs and didn't make it. But the guys who are already there and they want to stay and they want to keep making that money, they're going to do it. And they're, they're just going to. Right? There's no second-guessing it. They're, they're there. They want to stay. They want to keep making that money for the longest period of time possible.
1: All right, so now we'll shift gears a little bit. We'll lighten it up a bit. I You both played on teams that I coached, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny, you'll lead off again. Funniest, yep. funny Tommy Weber moment, coaching – Playing uh, at Wagner College.
2: Oh my God! There's <laughs> uh, on on the field. Or what, all? Wait a minute! Wait a minute!
1: <laughs> all right. So here's what you got to realize. What are we talking? About? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Okay. I'm not sure certain felonies have a statute of limitations. Okay, that's number one. Okay, <laughs> all, right. all right. That's number, number one. one. Because all between right. the two of you, you know where all the bodies are buried. So I'm very okay. vulnerable yeah. right now, even asking this question.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 fu- the funny Tommy Weber moment oh my god well I will say this I, I do remember we were I, I don't know if it was Post or Pace or New York I can't remember who we were playing but I remember you were out at third base you were coaching third base and uh, the fans down the third baseline started calling you yeah.
3: Jughead <laughs> they weren't that far off they were
1: right yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that yeah.
2: they were Yes, they were. They were comparing you to our water jug. <laughs> that
1: was in our dugout. That name stuck with me forever. They did. That's right. You me know what, what? They were great. They were, and I. You know what? There's nothing you could do because when they're funny, you have to shut yeah. up, right? And I remember them yelling out, "Hey." <laughs> But who who put a uniform on the water jug? You know? I was like, "Oh my god!" There's this, this some really good ones. Right when they're good, you they, got to take yeah, it. There's nothing them. you could do. And like, it, I was actually. And then when I laughed, they saw that I was laughing, and that just yeah. exacerbated it. And they wouldn't stop. And on the way home, we had vans. I remember we had vans coming home, and guys yeah. were riding like Jughead and. You know, she was, was really, really, very, very good. Okay, Jughead stuck. It did. It's it. It has stuck to this day. And a friend of mine, God bless him, one of my best friends in the whole world, Ronnie Eisenberg, he used to call me Jughead all the time, all the time. Espo, what do you got? What do you got?
3: I, I think the funniest, the funniest memory from playing ball actually happened outside. We haven't. We were having dinner with an unnamed. Oh, geez. With an unnamed. Co- Just your reaction to this individual sending every piece of food back because it, was, it wasn't cooked well enough. It was, it was sort of, it was really, 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 really fun. I mean, it was just... Yeah, we were at the Outback. Outback, and, right. and this individual that we were with, you know, me, me and Webb... We was won't singing. mention his name, Michael yeah. Paparo. But uh,
1: <laughs> he was...
3: We, I think we ordered the Bloomin' Onion, and it, yeah. came, it came to the table. And he was, is
1: <laughs> the only guy in the history of the Outback franchise, right, to ever send back the Bloomin' Onion... Because it wasn't well done enough.
3: Yeah. Uh, so his rea- his so Webb's reaction to, to, to that entire the entire chain of events was, uh, was something else, man. It was it was only the three of us. I wish there was more people that would have witnessed that. It was only it was only you, me, and and, and loop So um, that was fun. Uh, that's one of the times I'll never forget. Um, yeah, I mean, there was plenty of other good ones. But yeah, that's yeah, that's the one. I'll we had about. a lot of fun. We yeah, had yeah a lot, we had you know,
1: a lot of one thing. Um, uh, as you guys both know, I mean. Um, I'm, I'm a player's guy and uh, you made it, you both made it so much fun. We really did have, you know, we had kind of character coaches and character players on both teams, kind of yeah. a lot of city kids, right? A lot of, a yeah. lot of diversity. And oh, uh, nothing was sacred. If there was political, correct- <laughs> there was no political correctness, political correctness. In, in either of no. those dugouts. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And if you had thin skin, you had better stand really, really, far, far, away. really away, far away, from wherever yeah. we were, because there was no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh yeah. boy! It's a, no one was safe. No one was safe. No one. Absolutely not. Was yeah. safe. And actually, um, I it, it, there was a, two instances that you you actually have in common because Espo hit me with a rocket in batting practice that almost killed me. <laughs> I didn't get behind <laughs> like the we had like the Kmart. screen, you know, that basically, basically almost protects you, you know, Uh and Espo hit a ball. I can see it to this day. It knuckled. It had it was hit so hard and so square. It had no spin. Yeah, that was my fault. Mm -hmm. And I, I just turned my back. This thing, it hit me in the lung. You know, it was like, I was like down and I'm now I'm looking towards center field. I kind of don't know where I am. And I'm whimpering a little bit. <laughs> it was, I, I, you know, I
3: don't forget it too, Kenny. It was one of those off the bat that like I dropped the bat and cringed when I hit it because yeah. I knew where it was going. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It was just, you know, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I kind of just put my head down. I'm like, please tell me to hit him in the back or the shoulder or somewhere, I, you know, because it was headed square for the, oh uh, for the, uh, for the jug
1: head. Oh, oh. <laughs> Thank God it missed. Yeah. For some, somehow it missed. The biggest part of my body, my head. You still so, had you
3: had some really good cool. reactions, though. That's right. So that, so thank God you know for that. And man that's 15, oh man, 15 that kills you. That yeah. kills you. No, I know.
1: And then Kenny knows what I'm going to talk about. Tell him sitting in the dugout. L i u. Yeah. That thing, uh, when the ball came in the dugout and hit me in
2: the head. Yep. Oh boy, that one. Yeah. yeah, I was sitting. I was talking. I was. I don't know what happened. We just something at the end of the inning happened. And I came in and I was talking to. You. It might've been Billy Schwartz or somebody. I can't remember. We went
1: in, it was JFK in the limousine back and to the left. He got
2: back to the left. I just got pelted in the head by a ball that got thrown into our dugout. It was ridiculous. I don't know where it came from. Second baseman. Even came in our dugout. Second
1: baseman. I saw that guy not long ago. And I told him just so that you know, I know that was on purpose because that was on purpose. You don't miss by that much. There was a lot of bad blood back then between those two teams. There's a lot of bad blood between lots of teams, but it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And I know that ball came in the dugout on purpose and he let that thing fly. And that thing could have killed somebody. Thank God that that <laughs> didn't do more damage uh, than, than it could have. I mean, square. I, mean, actually,
2: in I, didn't even, I didn't get a concussion from it or anything, but it hit me right in my forehead. And if it was four inches lower, it would have hit me square right in my face.
1: You guys were playing so, at yeah. L.I.U. when that happened? No, Wagner. Oh, we, so and we that were, Wagner. And you know what? We were sitting we someplace. Were Wagner. Okay. We used to sit at the third base in the third base dugout. We would sit towards the left field side. As far away from sure. the head coach as we could, so that we could make fun and laugh. Uh, yeah, and um, he, you know, we—that's th- where we always sat. And I remember it was a sun. I can remember was a yeah, sun drenched day, beautiful day, and whack, man, that scared the hell out of me. Thank God that 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 didn't hit exactly lower. That could have really done a lot of damage. Uh, if we see that guy again, we have to kick his ass. Um,
2: all right, we'll do what we got to do. Hey, you know, I think it's helping me with my acting career though. Keeping that IQ down. <laughs>
1: You <laughs> got a spot to go back. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that, Ken. You know, uh, yeah, oh, all right. Yeah, I, all right. I really, I right. really. So, Ken, what's next? What's next on the acting front?
2: I uh, just finished a western. I was out in West Virginia for three weeks. I was the uh, lead character in a film called Bill Tillman and the Outlaws. So I played Bill Tillman, and that will be out sometime in the fall. Um, but otherwise, I, you know, just auditioning. I just auditioned for Wonder Woman two but I haven't heard anything back yet, so I don't know if uh, if that's going to come to anything. But, you know, with, I'm out auditioning. I'm up in New York quite a bit.
1: Where can people where I can people you. check out your stuff?
2: Uh, they can go to my website. They can go to KenArnold.com, and uh, it's all listed there, or they can go to the uh, movie I produced called The Night Watchman.
1: Yeah, you got go that. to get that. That's TNW. cool. That's cool.
2: Yeah, TNWmovie.com. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now, so if you have an Amazon Prime membership, you can watch this horror comedy. Uh, there was just an article written by someone who said it's one of the best horror comedies on Amazon Prime right now. So if you get a chance, watch The Night Watchman.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I had a little acting experience myself. I, after I came back, I got hurt. I came back uh, and I was asked to go and audition, literally, for The Natural at Fordham. They wanted ball players to come up to Fordham and um, audition.
2: I remember that. That's my that's
1: my favorite movie of all time, too. Okay. She, uh, she could have gotten a role in that. I did Barry Levinson, and then they cut us down, and we were all, it was about a week. And Lou DiGiomo was the casting director, and uh, we, it was great because the actors were terrible, and the ball players were putting on, like, a show. You know, we, like, took infield and hit. And sure. it was like, wow, Barry Levinson loved us. And I did a, a test. I read some lines, and I thought I was in. Uh, and and you know what happened? It's a period piece, obviously. And he said, you just don't look old enough. And I said, but ballplayers mm. are young. He said, I know, but it's a period piece. And it's true, because all those guys, Phil Mankowski, Jimmy Meyer, all the guys I played with and against that wound up getting roles in the movie, I still have the script uh, that got roles in the film, uh, were all older than I was. we all like seven or eight years older than I yeah. was. So they're not, it's not, yeah, the, but, the period piece needs guys who appear older, even though baseball players older. are young. Yeah. So that was my brush with greatness. See, so yeah, I, I could have I been somebody. You um, could have been. I could have been. Espo, um, you're going to continue to be my co-host. We're going to have Espo co-hosting a lot. He's really, really good. Got a great voice, great insight, continues to provide uh, terrific insights. Uh, we hope that the Mets, for your sake, Espo, um, why don't you give us a minute on the Mets right now? What do you think?
2: Oh, God. Here <laughs> we go. Kenny, are you a, a Mets or Yankee fan, Kenny? I'm a Phillies fan. So you know fan. I don't like the Mets. Well, I mean yeah. yeah, you have a lot to
3: be happy about, but we'll we can talk about that. So, so Not quickly. For long. So quickly on so quickly, <laughs> quickly on the Mets, good weekend, right? We uh took three from Arizona, mm-hmm. granted a weak Arizona team at this point. They got some Goldsmith right. Goldschmidt hasn't hit. horrible
1: uniforms. Oh yeah, the oh, uniforms God. have been terrible.
3: Um but unfortunately since we last spoke, I, I think they are who we thought they were, right? Yeah. I think there's a there's a lot of warts on the Mets. I think they need they 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 really run a fine line. Um if they don't get Stellar starting pitching, yep. They're hitting, can't carry them, right? They're going through too many droughts. Uh, I'm happy with the three games this weekend. I think it's a good change. But, you know, I think you're going to see this throughout the course of the season where you're not going gonna to see prolonged instances where they don't win two games in a row. Right. Maybe win one, lose two. And I don't know if uh, by the time the end of the summer get into the early fall, if that's going to be enough. Yeah, they're going to
1: have to decide if they're sellers or buyers pretty soon. And I don't know which one they're going to wind up being. Mets always, to me, are a team that never decides what they are. You never know what the Mets are. Mm -hmm. Kenny, I described the Mets as, you know, that really drunk girl at the wedding who's dancing on top of the table. And you know that even though she's holding her own at some point, she's going to fall down and fall off the table and it's going to be really (laughs) ugly. That's who the Mets remind me of. You just kind of know that even right now they're teasing you by staying afloat. And just, uh, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. But Uh, Time will tell. We are going to wrap it up now. Ken Arnold, my pal, uh, terrific uh, Wagner College, professional player, actor. Check him out, KenArnold.com. Anthony Esposito, Espo, my co-host. Thank you so much for taking time away from the family to be here tonight. You did a great job as usual, and you will be coming back. Um, We are going to leave you, and we will be back next week. And this is Fred and Florence's son saying, see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at Ball or Instagram at Tommy Weber Baseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Calm.